I called you and said, our anniversary service is coming up and I'd like for you to uh, suggest a guest speaker. What's the kind of a person that you would want to suggest? Well, what I think of at this time in our history together, after 11 years, what I think of is a veteran pastor who's been around the block enough to know the kind of stages and phases that a church might go through. The, the kind of a pastor who's worked with people uh, long enough to know the kinds of stages and phases that individual Christians go through. Kind of a pastor who would then, with a loving, gracious, and pastoral heart, be able to take God's word and encourage us about God's faithfulness and exhort us to what's ahead. Well, that guy for me is David Goff. He's... Uh, He's a veteran pastor. He's been in pastoral ministry for about 22 years as a senior pastor of a church, but before that, serving as one of the, you might call him a pastor at a local Bible college in Washington, Washington Bible College, for 25 years teaching the Bible, pastoring students, coaching baseball before that. So 22 years in pastoral ministry, 25 years at Washington Bible College, and 13 of those years just most recently at Temple Hills Baptist Church in Temple Hills, Maryland. Now, he's no longer there. He says it's not because he's retired, because apparently retired is a bad word at his house, but he's not there anymore. He's doing other things. Call it what you like. More than just being a veteran pastor, David Goff is my friend. He's been here one other time on our sixth anniversary when we were meeting at uh, Greenwood Mills Elementary School. And by the way, some of you who were there that day might remember that's the day that Mindy Fuller was baptized. So anniversary number six, now we've invited him back five years later. He actually joined us one other time during Zoom church and share just a little bit with us during that time. So some of you will be familiar with David, uh, some of you are not. But if you dig below that, below the veteran stuff, below the friendship stuff, there's one guy who contacts me every Sunday morning, early in the morning, when only pastors and nursing mothers are up. And he says, I'm praying for you and your church today. This guy's not just a veteran pastor or my friend. He's our partner behind the scenes in prayer, even if you didn't know it. I praise God for you, David. His wife, Terry, welcome. I'm so glad that you can celebrate uh, with us today. Come preach God's word to us. And uh, I'm just thankful for our partnership. God bless you, brother. Oh, thank you, Tim. Uh, I can't wait to hear what I have to say now. This is, I, Tim, I appreciate that. By the way, happy anniversary, church. Happy anniversary. What a, what a great day this is. It was five years ago that I was here. It was raining that Sunday as well. Mindy, I don't know if you remember that. But uh, I thought it was... Oh, she was. 
But uh, I, I thought it was going to be all rainy and messy again today. I'm sorry, uh, those of you who are disappointed, you were not able to meet in the park this morning. I trust that you're not going to be too disappointed as a result of, of being here inside today. What a blessing to be here. And uh, all that, that Tim said, I really didn't write that for him to say, but uh, Tim is, has been such a, a blessing to me. We, we met as a result of the pastor's group that was meeting at Capitol Hills Baptist Church um, for a number of years. We came to know each other then, just supporting one another through prayer, and our friendship has continued. We don't see each other as often as we wish we did, but what a blessing to be with you and to see what has happened at Winchester Baptist Church over these years. It's uh, to God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let me pray with you, and uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so please pray with me right now. Lord, we thank you for the uh, blessed occasion that brings us together this morning. We thank you for your hand of grace being upon this church for 11 years. We hope, we trust, we pray that this is just the beginning, that you have many wonderful blessings for this church moving forward, that many lives would be touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ and be changed. And when Jesus appears and calls his church home, may there be many from the Winchester Baptist community who are involved in that. We pray, Lord, that you would bless now this time together. We look into your word we pray that you would speak to this church in an appropriate way. Let my words be appropriate, and may your Holy Spirit guide the outcome. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Anniversaries are always an appropriate time to kind of step back and, and to take stock of where you've been and where you're going. Terry and I are going to be celebrating another anniversary uh, next month, and as we assess the distance that we've covered over the years that we have been together, I think that we are both discovering that what's more important than looking back is actually looking forward as in terms of where we're going to be going, what lies ahead for us. Hebrews chapter 12 describes that kind of, of perspective as keeping our eyes on Jesus who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I live perpetually in light of God's eternal promises. And every day that we live brings us closer to the fulfillment of all those promises that the Lord has for us. To those who know Jesus, he has said that he has gone to prepare a place for us. And he will come again and he will Take us unto himself that where he is, we will live forever with him. But right now, Christ is building his church. He is building his church in anticipation of that great day. And you and I, brothers and sisters, we're instruments that God is using in that grand building project. Every local assembly, including Winchester Baptist Church is an outpost for the gospel of Jesus Christ through which he is carrying out his grand plan. There is a purpose for this church. You're not just coming together to celebrate and say, hey, we made it through 11 years, but there is a purpose for which this church exists. I'm aware that over the past year or maybe more, Pastor Tim has taken you through a study of 1 Corinthians. And what I'd like to do this morning is just dip into the sequel to that book, namely 2 Corinthians. I'd like to just pull out one verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 
If you have it in front of you, I'd just like you to look at it with me. One verse I want to highlight this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. It reads this way. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, where did Paul get an illustration like that? I believe that Paul is actually thinking back to the book of Jeremiah. If you remember it, Jeremiah 18, he, he tells us that he one day viewed this potter taking a piece of ruined clay and refashioning it and making it into a useful vessel, something that could be of use to people. And isn't that what God has done for us? He's taken people like us. We were, we were broken pieces of clay, if you will. And God, through His grace, by applying the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the forgiveness of our sins, God has taken us and He has refashioned us. He has made us useful vessels for His glory. But that's not only the testimony of every Christian, that's the testimony of every local church. Why do local churches exist? They exist so that they can be useful vessels for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my Bible says jars of clay. You may have another translation that reads earthen vessels. That's the way some translations put it. What it refers to actually are these earthenware vessels in in ancient times that were used to actually house oil that would be for lamps. You would house the oil in those lamps and then you would withdraw it or draw it out uh, when you needed to light a lamp for the house. And what Paul is doing by using that illustration is he's saying the earthen vessel is not what's valuable. It's the oil inside that earthen vessel that is of value. Just like he's saying that the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ is what is of value to the local church. It's not the church per se. It's not the building of the church. It's not necessarily each and every one of us, although we do play our part. What's of valuable, what is valuable is the gospel right. of Jesus Christ. So imagine, if you will, that one day you're, you're sitting in your house and this delivery truck pulls out, pulls up in front of your house. And the delivery man pulls out this large container, puts it in the street, and then hauls it up to the front door of your house, knocks on the door, and he says, it's for you. You look at that container and you say, my, this is a large container. This is, this is so nice. And look how it's packaged. It's packaged so well. And look at the shape. I just wonder what's inside of this package. But then you never open it. You never look inside the package. That, that would be utterly foolish, wouldn't it? And yet, I'm afraid that's what we do sometimes. We, we look at ourselves and we, we, we kind of measure ourselves. How well am I doing or how well is my church doing? And we, we take our eyes off of what is truly valuable. Amen. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically the treasure that Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 is what he has just mentioned in the verse prior to that. If you have your Bible open there, look at verse 6. What is the treasure? He calls it in verse 6, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It should go without saying that the church is not the treasure. 
And as much as I love Tim White, he's not the treasure. And, and, and the elders are not the treasure. Christ alone is the treasure. And he will forever remain the treasure. And the day that we forget that is the day that we sort of forfeit our usefulness as a church. The rest of us are just merely jars of clay in whom God has chosen to invest the treasure. Jesus reminded us in his Sermon on the Mount to lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. Now, we've already heard testimony. Miss McKinney, thank you so much. Where's your, where is she? There you are. Thank you so much for your testimony, what this church has meant to you. And, and I'm sure that if others were given the opportunity to stand and, and give testimony this morning, you would say similar things. But remind yourself that the church came into being not because of people. It, it's because of the grace of God. Almighty God brought this church to life 11 years ago. And some of you have, have been here from the beginning. What do you say? Five Five of those who were charter members are, are still here. You can give testimony to the fact that it was the grace of God that brought you together. You just read the church covenant. The church covenant testified to the grace of God, what he has done in your life, what he continues to do in the life of this church. You've endured, some of you who've been here for quite a while, you've endured the peaks and the valleys of, of ministry. Every church has those peaks and valleys. And, and there's so much for which to give thanks and praise to God for, for these 11 years. But now you're standing on the cusp of your 12th year. You're, you're looking not back. Yes, let's look back today and give praise. But remember, tomorrow you begin a new phase. The cusp of your 12th year and a, and a, future that is always unclear. It's always uncertain. And the message that I think Paul has for us here in this single verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that we must continue to look at the treasure. We must not look inward upon ourselves, but we must maintain and even sharpen our focus upon the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the church fails to do that, it outlives its usefulness. And I stress that to you this morning because of the ever-present danger that is before us. And when I say us, I'm talking about every local church. Because churches tend to begin with high expectations and great excitement. And that may last for a number of years. But I've been around churches long enough, I've lived long enough, to observe how easy it is for us to take our eye off the ball and to lose sight of the vision that the Lord has placed before the church when he brought a body of believers into existence. And I want to challenge you this morning, and this may be the coach in me, but I want to challenge you this morning to persevere in the coming days and maintain your resolve to make certain that Jesus Christ remains your treasure. Now, if I can be permitted to speak about the church at large, not picking on Winchester Baptist, but I'm speaking of the contemporary church today at large, I want to suggest to you that 
we're going through something of an identity crisis. The contemporary church is going through something of an identity crisis. And by that I mean it, it forgets where it came from, doesn't know where it's going, and doesn't even know what it's supposed to be at the present time. That happens in church laps. That's why you drive down the street and you see church doors closed. That's why they, they're boarded up sometimes. The windows and the doors are boarded up. What used to be of use and benefit is no longer useful and of benefit. We don't want that to happen here. Regular and ongoing vigilance has to be exercised if the church is to remain faithful to its calling and, and relevant to the people to whom it has been called to serve. It doesn't happen automatically. We need to certainly do our part, but God must supply what we need to get the job done. And anniversaries seem to be an appropriate time for us to step back and take stock. Where are we going? History testifies that no ministry ever reaches a point where it can shift into autopilot as if to say, you know, God's got this under control now. I don't have to work quite as hard, be quite as strong in my commitment, but God will take it from here. Local churches need to be regularly examining their motives, their methods, as well as their message, reminding themselves that it is Jesus Christ to whom they serve, to whom they are accountable, and upon whom they must utterly depend. Those there are those people who have done these longitudinal studies of church life. And although the stages that they talk about local churches going through is not inevitable, there are certain patterns that I think serve to create at least cautions for us and things to make us aware of as we move forward. So if you'll permit me just a few minutes, let me, let me kind of walk through this. What, what many who do these types of studies call the life stages of a church. So there's five of them. And they may differ in names as you read different people. They may different in, differ in the, um, in the length of each of these stages. But there seems to be a pattern that local churches follow. The first of those stages is the birth stage. The birth stage, which goes without saying, this is when the church is planted. For Winchester Baptist, that would have been 11 years ago. And generally speaking, and those of you who were around at, at that time, you understand that there was a group of people who wanted to begin a work here in Winchester. And so you came together, and, and with great excitement and enthusiasm, this work began. Enthusiasm for the vision begins to take shape, and the church is established and there are, there are difficult times that have to be endured. You, you meet in schools before you have a permanent meeting place. You tear down, put up every week. You talked about that just a few moments ago. And, and some of you can, can look back and say, yes, we did all that, but it was a time of excitement. We were so excited that this new work was getting started. That's the birth stage. But that next stage is called the growth stage. That's where church polity, you know, how are we going to do things, programming begins to take a paramount feature. The church develops its own identity. It begins to carve out its own history and traditions. And there's generally, again, this zealous teamwork, a coming together of mutual sharing during this stage. It can be likened to the early years of a marriage, you know, where there's great hope, there's great promise for what's going to happen. 
That's the growth stage. And then at some point, the church enters into what we could call the stability stage. And it's, it's this point where giving and church growth begin leveling off to some extent. And, and some of that initial passion that you had at the beginning begins to wane. And reacting, what some churches do is to, to attempt to redefine themselves. Maybe they'll start doing worship differently. Maybe they will take on new styles of, of worship or the way that they do things on Sunday morning. And what happens when you do that is new members begin to come in, but that's usually offset because you have other members who leave. They don't like the way things have gone. They, they don't like the changes that are taking place. And still, again, some people will move, other people will die, and so there's, there's kind of a stability there. There's no real growth taking place. It's more of a leveling off. And that takes us to the decline stage. That's the fourth stage. And this is usually less perceptible, and I say that because we don't, we don't see it happening. We think everything's going pretty well. Attendance and participation and, and, and giving seem to, if not have stable, maybe declining a little bit at this point. Conversions begin to become fewer and there are less and less baptisms and, and at times people begin to develop this, it's our church mentality. Our church. In other words, taking our eyes off the Lord and beginning to focus upon ourselves. And ministries turn inward. Members concern themselves with maintaining the status quo rather than, rather than expanding and reaching out. And when that happens, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus. We, we sense we're losing or leaving our first love. And then finally, there's the dying stage. And this happens in the lives of more churches than we want to admit. And many, many churches that began with excitement and commitment are no longer in existence today. And some remain on life support. They go through the motions, but they are just awaiting their final resting place, which is inevitable. But you know what? Some churches deserve to die. And I say that because when they, when they lose their focus upon the treasure, and and when they begin thinking that they know better than the Word of God, then they've outlived their usefulness. And when the cross of Jesus Christ no longer is the focal point of any ministry, then the church's demise, it may be delayed or prolonged, but it's inevitable. Those churches will die. And that final stage is preventable. It's preventable. If you keep your eyes focused where they need to be. If, if, if vigilance and, and due diligence are exercised early enough within the life cycle, then this doesn't have to be the pattern that's followed. Experience has shown that once you enter into that final stage, that dying stage, it's almost like a roller coaster. It's almost, it's, it's almost a downhill ride. Very few churches ever come back from that. And so, so the key is, is not to get to that point. The key is to remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. This is his apostolic reminder to us. Listen again to what he says. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Stop and think about it. 
Had God so chosen to display his gospel to us, he could have written it across, emblazoned it across the sky. He could have chosen that method had he, had he desired. He could have communicated it to us through angelic visions and messengers who, who come to us perhaps through dreams. But he didn't. Instead, he chooses clay pots like us to preserve and, and to proclaim his priceless message. Jesus came into the world in an unobtrusive way, didn't he? He didn't come as a king. He didn't come uh, with all this uh, pomp and circumstance announcing his coming. Jesus came in a very unobtrusive way. And he did so to live the life that you and I could never live and to die the death that we should have died. That God chose the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring about the message of the gospel. But think about that. Is he not doing the same thing today? And would not that seem like a tremendous risk? I mean, if you, if you took the most valuable possession you owned and you put it in a clay pot that was easily destroyed, could be easily destroyed, wouldn't that be a tremendous risk? And yet that is exactly what God has done. And the question is not how can that be? The question is rather how well are we doing? And an even better question would be how might we assure that we will continue doing things right? What leads to church decline? Well, I thought about this that this past week and one of the things that came to my mind, and probably the predominant thing, was distractions. I don't know what else to call them. Distractions. Distractions simply mean that other things get in the way of what we should be paying attention to or doing. And, and it always happens when the main thing no longer is the main thing. The main thing for Winchester Baptist Church and, and any church that is intent on proclaiming the excellencies of Christ and, and the glory of God and the, the, the gospel of our Savior, that's the treasure. That's the treasure. If we lose focus of the treasure, then who are we to even believe that we should continue to exist? Churches that hope to survive, much less thrive, never lose sight of the treasure. Um, Sunday gatherings, as well as other times of Bible study, prayer, and fellowship that we have together, must remain centered on the person of Jesus Christ. If, if, if they're no longer centered on, on, on Jesus Christ, then we lose our sense of purpose. There should be an anticipation and, and an expectancy whenever the body comes together. And I saw that this morning. I saw that this morning as you, as you folks began to, to come in and, and, and to take your seats. But before anybody sat down, they were speaking to, to other people. You were encouraging other people. Oh, I get into so many churches where even getting a handshake for someone is a premium. You guys have, you've shown love. You've, you've demonstrated that. And I, I commend you for that. And I, and I pray that, should I come back in another five years, I will see that even more. You see, storehouses of the gospel are 
just that's another name for the local church. That's what we are. We exist because God has entrusted to a room full of clay pots like us the gospel, the precious treasure of Jesus Christ. But when we lose sight of that responsibility and we begin to preserve what is ours instead of protecting what is his, then we've missed the purpose. You know, the dangerous thing about distractions is that we don't often realize they're happening. I mean, we, we simply think that's part and parcel of what's supposed to go on. We, we consider the things that we're investing, our time and, and our money, our resources, to be absolutely essential. But when the Lord of the church is not exalted and the sole intent of our coming together is that he be worshipped, and he be the one who is exalted, then something has gone wrong. Something is amiss. There are a lot of churches I get into that are really, really good on form. I mean, they you know, everybody would feel welcome. I mean, you, you could be the, the biggest heathen in Winchester, Virginia, and walk into some churches, and you would feel welcome because it's a cool place to be. They're so interested in form and, and, and in drawing people in. But they're not spirit-led, many of those churches. Performance-driven, not spirit-led. Many go through the motions of worship, and, and although the Lord's name is often invoked, his presence is often overlooked. If Jesus were to walk in and take a seat on the front row, he might be ignored because of everything else that's going on. You see, it's possible to do worship so well that we neglect the one whom we are there to worship. I've been in churches where the details of a service are so well planned out, moment by moment, minute by minute, that any movement of the Holy Spirit is an intrusion. But we come back to Paul's reminder. Paul said this, we have this treasure in jars of clay in order to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Therefore, we need to consider the ongoing challenge that is before us. And again, I, I, I suggested that the contemporary church, and I say that as the church at large, is going through an identity crisis. And the reason that is the case is that the vessel seems to be what we're trying to preserve without protecting the treasure within that vessel. We're more concerned at times with who we are than with who he is. And whenever that happens, the, the church inadvertently becomes more significant than the Lord of the church. Brothers and sisters, don't let that happen. This church like the one I pastored for 13 years, comes out of the Southern Baptist tradition. Southern Baptists are, are big on evangelism. It is said that more people come to Christ through Southern Baptist churches than through any other single denomination. But what they don't tell you when they report those figures is how many of those people remain with Christ even a few years after they've made their profession. 
Jesus emphasized to his followers in the Great Commission that they were not to go and make converts. Now, we, we want people to come to know Christ. Don't get me wrong. But the Great Commission is not about making converts. It's about making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who sits at the feet of his teacher. He learns from his teacher, and then he goes out and does what his teacher has taught him to do. And that's what Jesus has told us. You are my disciples. Sit at my feet, learn of me, and then go and make disciples. But we can't do that alone. We can't, we can't do that apart from our growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we find a lot of those one another commands. I've always felt, Tim, that the church covenants were like taking all the one another commands of the New Testament and trying to assimilate them, put them all together. We have commands that, that say things like uh, pray for one another, live in harmony with one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. There are at least 40 imperatives like that found in the New Testament, and all of them are crowned by that one great commandment, love one another. But we can't even do that. We can't even do that without seeing it within the context of our Lord's answer to the young man who came to him one day and said, what is the greatest of all the commands? I want to make sure that I cover the greatest command of all. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he said, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Brothers and sisters, the surest safeguard in maintaining the spiritual health of Winchester Baptist Church in the days to come is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is to love one another, to demonstrate that love to one another. Or again, to borrow from Paul's terminology here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, to make sure that Jesus Christ remains your greatest treasure. And to do that, we must follow the Lord's example. He has told us that he has given himself for us. And Paul, in writing in Philippians chapter 2, left us with these words. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves and let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And then he adds this, have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus. I can't think of any more fitting words to leave with you this morning and to ask you to inscribe upon your heart as you prepare to enter your 12th year together than those. And should the Lord be pleased to give you 
a 12th anniversary next September. I pray that you will come back together, recognizing that his grace for you has continued, that it has grown more and more. Oh, I'm not talking about filling these seats. That would be wonderful. But I'm talking about his grace in your life. And you're seeing the character of Christ develop in you individually and in the life of this church. Brothers and sisters, I promise, I promise I will continue praying for you in the coming days. And so so I challenge you to, to maintain your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that he gave his life to give to you. Should you fail to do that, this church will no longer be necessary. Story is told about an early rabbi who was invited to the dinner of the emperor and he he noticed before the meal was served that when the wine was poured that it actually had been housed in in earthenware vessels and so the rabbi turned to the emperor's daughter and he said i I find that really amazing that the, the emperor's wine is stored in these in these earthenware vessels well, well, the daughter thought that was totally inappropriate. And so after the meal, she, she called the servants together and she said, I want you to take all the wine that's in these earthenware vessels and I want you to pour them into these silver vessels. And so the servants did that. The next time the emperor held a banquet, he invited many guests and the servants brought out the wine in the silver vessels. And uh, he was so proud. It, it looked so regal, so royal. And, and, and they poured the wine. Everyone was impressed when they saw the wine. But then they tasted it and they spit it out. It was undrinkable. What had happened? The wine had spoiled in the silver vessels. And the rabbi concluded, as was, must we, that it is the most humble vessels that serve the greatest treasure. Dear friends, let's be less concerned with preserving the vessel than in protecting the treasure. And it is with that perspective that it is that perspective that will keep Winchester Baptist Church relevant and alive and thriving until Jesus Christ comes Amen. back. Amen. So by God's grace, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it in the day of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I love you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, th- we thank you for your marvelous work of grace that brought this church into existence 11 years ago. We know that it was not simply the plans of man, nor was it the labors that were, that were put forth to, to bring this work into existence. But Lord, we recognize that you are the Lord of your church. You are the one who has brought every, every one of us who know Christ into salvation itself because it is the work of God from start to finish. Lord, we, we can offer nothing of our own. We have nothing in our hands to give to you. But everything that we do have is a gift from you. You've given it to us, and now we want to invest it in you. So, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for others who, who are hearing me this morning, but, but I know for myself, and I, and I do believe that there are probably many here today who, who have a similar prayer request, and that would be, Lord, keep us faithful. Keep us faithful to the end. Keep our eyes on the treasure. Let us not look to ourselves, but look to you. You are the author of our faith. You are the finisher of our faith. And one day you are going to come again and you're going to claim your church to live with you forever. May we be ready for that day.
And Father, I just pray for anyone who is here this morning who has not yet trusted Christ as Savior, that something may be said either in this service or in another service that they've heard or something they've read. Or I just pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of their heart to see Jesus. And he is the greatest treasure, that everything else in life that we are living for is not worth sacrificing the treasure that Christ has made available to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to that heart today, and I pray that you would turn them to eternal life by trusting in your name. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.